Welcome to Sunday School for Heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I am not a priest and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who got really excited making a liturgical spreadsheet earlier this week. You had quite a week, didn't you, Brian? I mean, that was last week. This was the day after Easter. Oh. I just really wanted to make the spreadsheet. It's very cool. Cool. I believe you. I mean, as someone who loves spreadsheets... I'm not sure I understand the implications of a liturgical spreadsheet, but I'm really happy that it exists because it makes you happy and thus it makes me happy. So short brag about it. It takes the longer schedule of liturgical ministers, so basically volunteers for each mass, Mm -hmm. and it auto selects the upcoming week and puts it on a different page showing just the new week and then highlights the slots that still need to be filled. That's amazing and I love it. Yeah, I'm one of those people who, when you put proficient in Microsoft uh, Office... You're not messing around. I mean it. I mean, like, I am (laughs) decent at Excel, but you are good at Excel. (laughs) I have had to do a lot of dumb stuff at work in Excel. (laughs) That's true. Most of... I have to do just the same, like, five dumb things over and over again. Mm -hmm. Whereas you get new and exciting dumb things every once in a while. Yeah. Visual basic, man. Craziness. Absolute (laughs) craziness. All right. Well, this is not a podcast about Excel. What are we talking about this week? This week, we are talking about snake handling. Yes. (laughs) I am so excited. (laughs) We were pretty Catholic last week. I figured we'd go pretty hardcore evangelical this week. Yeah. So my, this is a personal story, my only snake handling sort of point of reference my mom's best friend from college, uh-huh. who grew up in Georgia. Okay. And her mother had a house in Atlanta and a house in northwest Georgia, like up towards Chattanooga. Okay. And there is definitely a church out by her farmhouse that handles snakes because they do sometimes advertise live snakes. Yikes. <laughs> and uh, I think for a while they didn't and now the snakes are back or for a while the snakes came back. So that is my only point of reference on snake handling. Well, that makes sense. We will talk a little bit about a Georgia connection in here. Ooh, crazy. (laughs) I'm excited. So snake handling. This is a pretty extreme form of Pentecostalism, um, which is a type of Christianity with a specific focus on a direct connection with God through baptism with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so is this believer's baptism then? Uh, Yeah, it would be. But Pentecostalism is more of a focus on you have this experience where the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're able to do things because of it. A more common version is speaking in tongues. That's what I was going to ask, is is if this is speaking in tongues style. Yeah, exactly. Evangelicalism. That's what most people do. This is a much smaller subset of that. Okay. Um, And this goes back to the story that we talked about in the confirmation episode. Where, oh, right. When everyone starts speaking languages. Yeah. And that was because the Holy Spirit came down on them. Same idea. Cool. And is this also the like revival, big tense people writhing on the floor, walking when they never walked before, or like being healed? Yeah, you would definitely that see a lot thing. of those similar things in these, uh, these types of churches. Cool. Yeah. That's wild. I have never been, but I've heard, yes, it is wild. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I'm much too liturgical of a uh, a Christian to get into 
too much of this. <laughs> I think I'm just nervous about it. I think it just scares me. <laughs> That's fair. So first, we'll get into the biblical basis of snake handling. Cool. So for once, this is a topic that's actually very directly rooted in a Bible passage. I love that. <laughs> We've got it straight out of the Bible. Well, sort of. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's all, there's always a sort of. Famous last words. There are two passages in particular that snake handlers will point to. One's in Luke, the other is in Mark. Both of these synoptic gospels, a lot of similar material. We've talked about that before. Yeah, I'm starting to put together pieces. Yeah. And we've talked about Luke before. This is the one that was written in about 90 CE, predominantly for a Gentile audience. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've talked about Mark as much. We have not. We've talked about John and we've talked about Luke, but I don't know if we've talked about Mark. And so Mark is the shortest gospel and probably the earliest, probably okay. written about 70 CE. Okay, yeah. So definitely earlier. Mm -hmm. And a large portion of this gospel is Jesus performing miracles. So, curing people, walking on water, feeding the 5,000 people. Is Wedding at Cana in this one? No, Wedding at Cana was in John. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. That doesn't, that's not miraculous enough. It's just boozy just and fun. Different miracle. But is this loaves and fishes? Uh, yeah, loaves and fishes would be in this one. I think loaves and fishes is actually in all four, though. Wow. Yeah. Okay, but more of the miraculous. Yeah, there's just a lot, there's a big focus on that. Cool. And another thing that's a hallmark of Mark's gospel is Jesus being very mysterious. Ooh. Can I add mystery Jesus to our different Jesus archetypes? Yeah, exactly. When we have the, like, Brady Bunch grid of Jesuses, mystery Jesus can be one. Cool. We're slowly filling in that grid. <laughs> when he performs his miracles, he'll tell people, don't go and tell anyone. And then they do. inevitably do. Yeah. <laughs> and do we think that he knows that they're going to do that? But maybe he's just trying to control the narrative a little bit by, like, if he says that he doesn't want people to know, then he can, like, be surprised when people know. Uh, there's a couple different theories about it. The But the, the idea of Jesus being like, hey, I don't want anyone to know what my mission is, that idea is called the messianic secret. We might go more into detail. That might be its own whole episode. Cool. Sounds like a plan. But the point is, is that Jesus does cool things and then tells everyone to be quiet about it. Exactly. And that is mystery Jesus. Yeah. And that was just a little bit of an info on Mark before we get into this. Cool. So first, I'll, we'll talk about these two passages. I'll talk about the Luke passage. I'm just going to read it. It is, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So this is in Luke. Cool. This is Jesus sent out 72 people ahead of him to prepare various towns for his coming. Great. That's you, one. Yeah, you, you will be fine. Snakes will not hurt you. Okay. That's it. Step on the poisonous things, trample them, nothing bad will happen. Yep. So then we have the Mark passage, which is, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. So, so this is like super Pentecostalism in one whole sentence. Yeah. 
particularly the Mark passage is what people mm-hmm. point to. Yeah, that feels very direct. Yes. As to things that they, you've told me they do. Yeah. So interesting note about this Mark passage. It was probably not in the original Gospel of Mark. Yeah, who added it and when? <laughs> it was probably added not until at least the third century. Okay. And But why did they add it? Because they didn't like the original ending to Mark. <laughs> what was the original ending? So, and why did we try and retcon it in the third century? <laughs> <laughs> so the original ending of Mark, Jesus has died. Mm-hmm. He's not in the tomb. Okay. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. Okay. And there are two other women with her. And a young man tells them that Jesus is risen and he will see them in Galilee. And then they leave the tomb in astonishment and say nothing. And that's where the gospel ends. Dun, dun, dun. But then there's this little bit that gets added to the end where (laughs) they see Jesus again and he tells them, go out and do this. Okay, so this comes from this, like, add-on, Mary gets to see Jesus again moment. Yeah, which exists in other gospels. Okay, so it's not like they added a whole new plot point only in Mark. Yes. It was just that Mark's gospel never talked about it. It just sort of ended early. Yeah, and but Mark also says that they will see Jesus in Galilee. Uh-huh. But what happens in all the other stories is they see him in Jerusalem. Interesting. So it's a questionable passage. Great. But it that, exists. But it, it exists. It has existed for quite a long time. Sure. And that's pretty directly what all of these traditions come from. Yes. I see this now. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Another thing to note is that these Bible passages say that this is a thing that followers of Jesus are capable of. And like, if they are bitten by snakes, they will be protected. It doesn't tell them specifically, you should go do this. Yes. (laughs) I guess it says to step on snakes. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people will interpret that as if you step on a snake, it won't hurt you. So don't worry. Great. But also something tells me that, like, contemporary snake handlers are not going around trampling on snakes as acts of God. They're doing other things with snakes. Mostly just kind of, like, holding them. Yeah, that's what I imagine (laughs) when I think of snake handling. But, like, it feels like in the Luke passage, he's just saying, like, don't worry about what's going to bother you. Like, make these places clean and safe and happy for other people. And if that means you have to, like, squish some bugs to get there, squish some bugs to get there, don't, you're not going to get poisoned. Yeah. Maybe. He might not even be saying that much. He might just be saying, like, if you're walking along a path and a snake darts out, you're still going to be fine. Yeah. I don't know. Different interpretations. Sure. (laughs) Then there's also, there are some passages telling people, both broadly and specifically, not to do this. Oh, really? That's great. (laughs) So we've talked about one. (laughs) Generally speaking, don't do this is in both Luke and Matthew. Uh, We talked about this in the Lent episode. Okay. When the devil's tempting Jesus Mm -hmm. and tells Jesus to jump off the temple because the angels will save him. Yes. Jesus says, no, we're not supposed to test God. Ah, yes. (laughs) And that handling poisonous snakes does sound a lot like testing God. A little bit. Yeah. And yeah, Jesus was quoting the book of Deuteronomy um, when he was saying, don't test God. Oh, so aside. we've been not testing God all the way since the Hebrew Bible at this point. Yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and then also in the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul said, we should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you really can't get away from that, can you? That's pretty straightforward. So, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean... <laughs> 
as the heathen here, sometimes I feel like uh, biblical interpretation is nothing if not selective reading sometimes. That's absolutely fair. And everybody... Everyone does, does it. Yeah, does selective reading to some extent. And so clearly snake handling is one of those things among many, many other things that gets selectively read. I think perhaps, yeah. Are there more instances of please do not handle snakes? Or is it just those two? Those are the two that I pulled out. I think there's probably additional, in the broader sense, do not test God. Mm -hmm. But Paul really hits the nail on the head with the snakes thing. Yeah, that one, it was right there. I had to include that. Yeah. Final biblical note. Paul did survive a snake bite in Acts of the Apostles. Of course he did. He wasn't trying to hold a snake. Uh, It was an accident. Did it jump out in front of him? It did. Did we talk about this already once? Why do I feel like I know this story? Or am I just having Catholic deja vu? I don't think we've talked about Paul getting bit by a snake, but I could be wrong. We could have also had this conversation off mic. We might have. I don't don't know. know. But (laughs) when he got bit by the snake, people said, oh, he must be a murderer who deserves to die. That must be why this happened to him. Oh, no. And everyone expected him to die. Yes. Because that's what happens when you get bit by snakes. (laughs) And then he didn't. And so they decided he was a god. Okay. (laughs) I'm also not sure how Paul would feel about that. I don't know. It wasn't addressed. Because he probably doesn't want to be thought of as a god. He just wants to be thought of as a man of the god. Yeah, he probably was not a huge fan. Yeah. But but, (laughs) whatever. It is what it is. So that's everything from a uh, biblical perspective. Cool. So historically speaking, snake handling, in what we're talking about, a specifically Christian context, is relatively new. Mm -hmm. And it's predominantly American, specifically Appalachian. Okay, that makes sense with North Georgia. Yeah, most people consider George Went Hensley to be the founder of the snake handling movement. Okay, what year was that? He was born sometime in the 1880s. Okay. There's not a specific year that I could find. Sources kind of vary. Either in Virginia or Tennessee, again, sources vary, and his family moved back and forth between the two during his childhood. All right. He was raised Baptist. But he left the Baptist church when he married his first wife, Amanda. But then he had a conversion moment when he attended Holiness Pentecostal Church of God. This was in Tennessee. All right. He gave up alcohol, tobacco, and the company of worldly people. Huh. That's an interesting thing to give up. That makes sense. I guess, like, only stay with those who are faithful. Yeah. I don't know. It feels sort of insular and weird. You know, sometimes Christianity is insular and weird. Yeah, fair. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you that one. And I'm not even talking about just this branch of it. (laughs) Fair. I'm just probably too worldly for most of these people. (laughs) Probably. I'm from southeastern Ohio, so I can tell you, Appalachia can be kind of weird. Fair. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so he gives up everything fun. He does. And eventually in his religious fervor, he became very focused on that passage from Mark that I mentioned above. Okay. Above, like, you're reading my notes. You're not. (laughs) (laughs) That passage from Mark that That specifically says... (laughs) Yeah. His children believe that his obsession came from having seen a woman handling snakes at a revival service in Virginia when he was a child. Okay. There we go. So he was not the first person to have ever done this. Other people were doing it. He's just the guy whose name became associated with it. Yeah, and he definitely popularized it. Sure. Did he also have a gazillion children? Because it was like one of his his children believe. He did. He had, I think, at least like 12. Oh my god. 
<laughs> of course. Yeah, and four wives. But um, we won't even get into that. All at the same time? No. Okay. <laughs> I figured I had to ask. That's a fair question. But no, he one at a time. All right. <laughs> fair. Eventually, his obsession led him to go out into the mountains of Tennessee and seek God's will. While he was out there, he saw a rattlesnake. He knelt down and he prayed and picked it up. It didn't bite him. Great. It's a good start. Yeah. So he took it back to his congregation so that other people could test their faith by holding the snake. Oh god, this sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> it, you know, seemed to work pretty well. How many people got bit by rattlesnakes, though? I didn't see any numbers saying people got bit by rattlesnakes at this point. And depending on who you ask, <laughs> if you ask him and his followers, this started a huge revival. Okay. Everybody got saved. If you ask historians, that didn't happen. Fair. <laughs> but at least a few other people probably picked up a rattlesnake and didn't get bit and thus right. were saved. Yeah, some people got saved. That Great. <laughs> Good for him. A number. A, a number to be determined <laughs> got saved. He was doing this for a few years. And then the head of the Church of God in Cleveland, Tennessee, Ambrose J. Tomlinson invited Hensley to come speak at a conference to show the power of the Holy Spirit through his snake handling. Great. Is it still the same snake, or is he finding new snakes? Do we know? I assume by this point he's finding new snakes. I okay. don't think this was all just the same snake. And then in, in 1915, he applied to be a Church of God minister. Okay. His wife filled out the paperwork for him because he was illiterate. There we go. It's because he gave up worldly people. I think... He was an adult by then, so he was illiterate for other reasons before But he never got a chance because he gave up worldly people. Sure. So all the stories of all four of his wives were very good to him. They would, would like, read the Bible for him during his services, and then he would preach on the things that they read. Wow. So, wow. This guy really relied on these women. He found some good ladies. Good for him. (laughs) And good for them for taking such good care of this guy. Yeah. But he convinced the Church of God that it was okay for him to be a minister because he had memorized parts of the Bible and he said that he received revelation directly from God. Okay. So he didn't need to read. Reading's overrated when you believe this deeply in the Holy Spirit. Exactly. And, you know, the focus was very much on the direct revelation and the signs rather than... And also, if we learned anything from our confirmation episode, at some point he might mysteriously be able to speak a language he didn't know. That's true. That's how the Holy Spirit works. I would not be surprised if Hensley also spoke in tongues. Fair. So he traveled all over Appalachia holding services where he would handle snakes. Okay, yeah, he did speak in tongues. He would handle snakes, heal people by the laying on of hands. Sometimes people would drink poison, uh, little vials of poison. That's terrifying. And people would speak in tongues. By, in 1915, if you drink poison, you are dead. Unless it's not that strong a poison. Like, there's not, like, antivenom in antidotes or this shit. You know, somebody must have drank it and was fine, because it's recorded. It said that most of these churches, as part of this movement, kept a little vial of poison, but the demonstration of drinking it didn't happen very often. Okay. It was mostly just the snakes. Yeah. But still, if you get bit by a rattlesnake in 1915, you are dead. Well, we'll get to that. Or something. Yeah, You'd be surprised. All right. I I look forward to being surprised. (laughs) So he was traveling all over. And then a while later, Ambrose Tomlinson, who was the head of the Church of God, he split off from them. Okay. So not snake handling guy, but the other guy. Yeah. The guy who invited him to speak and was really the guy who got him popular with all of the Church of God churches in the area. 
So he separates from the Church of God. Does yeah. he start his own crew? I didn't follow whatever path he goes down. All right. But he just steps out of the story. Yeah, he steps out of the story. And so the Church of God starts to change their mind about snake handling. Ooh, not so good for our snake handling friend. And they officially denounce it by 1928. And that's the, the Assembly of the Church of God officially denounces snake handling. Okay. So then Hensley decides that he's going to break off from the Well, of course, because they the just church of God. banned his bit. Exactly. One of his churches he calls a free Pentecostal church. Later, he founds the Church of God with signs following. Okay. Is what his branch of Pentecostal Christianity is called. All right, with signs following. Yeah, they do the signs. There you go. <laughs> Here be signs. Exactly. <laughs> Fair. And he continues preaching throughout his life. It kind of goes through ups and downs based on popularity because the rest of the movement is starting to wane as we get into the 30s. Mm -hmm. Then it ends up picking back up again in the 40s. And perhaps unsurprisingly, he dies in 1955 when he's bitten by a snake at a service he was leading in Florida. I was really hoping this guy would die of a snake bite just because <laughs> I feel like it's important. The Did they just justify that like... God had called him and it was his time? I probably, I didn't find specific quotes on what people thought about his death. But he did go a pretty long time. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give it that to him. It was an impressive run. That's Hensley. The other person who is also named as a founder of this movement is James Miller. He's a preacher who began handling snakes in, independently. These movements started at the same, pretty much the same time wow. separately. In 1912 in Alabama. Okay. He is the one who, his branch of it is what got to Georgia. And that's why okay. it's more popular in Georgia. If you go further up north, it's going to be... Signs following. Yeah, Hensley. I think they might also call themselves signs, signs following. Okay. Just because they've all picked it up. All right, but so there's the Hensley branch of snake handling, and then there's the Miller branch of snake handling. Yeah. Good to know. So these two movements are basically the same. Mm -hmm. if this you... guy just walked out into the woods of Alabama instead of the woods of Tennessee and found a snake and prayed and it didn't bite him? Pretty much. Fair. Yeah, there's I don't I don't have much more on him. There's there's way more written about Hensley because it seems like he started a larger portion of the movement. That makes sense. Yeah, the idea between the movements was basically the same. If you were saved, the Holy Spirit would come on you. Being able to handle snakes, heal people, and speak in tongues would be evidence that the Holy Spirit was in you. And these the people in these congregations would perform these signs to prove themselves. There you go. The Church of Christ with signs following is based in personal experience of God. They reject theological tradition that's not explicitly in the Bible. That's pretty normal of any type of evangelical Christian is yeah. if it's not in the Bible, it's not from God. It's not true. Yeah. These so, are the texts. These are the words. This is what we believe. Right. So... This group goes beyond that, and they kind of de-emphasized the Bible and were focused more on the physical signs. Okay, so it's more like, you're not saved because you believe, you are saved because you have proven outwardly some sort of supernatural experience that shows the Holy Spirit has taken themselves upon you. Yeah, pretty much. Wow, interesting. But yeah, again, this very subgroup of a subgroup, pretty extreme. So there's evangelicals, and then there's Pentecostals, and then there's snake handling, signs following Pentecostals. Yeah. There's probably signs following, and then there's snake handling, right? Is like that an even smaller group? I think signs following is generally snake handlers. Okay. How many snake handling churches are there still in the United States? There are somewhere between 50 and 100 congregations. Wow. With about 
3,000 members all told. Wow, that's way bigger than I anticipated. Yeah, and generally concentrated in Appalachia. Okay, and so that's all the Hemsley branch. Hensley branch. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it it kind of all blends together. Cool. They all merged. Depending on who you ask is how you get who started them. Fair. But people in Georgia very much believe in Miller cool. as the, the guy who... Now, are, like, Miller people against the Hensley people and vice versa? Or are they all just sort of like, he was another saved guy who dealt with snakes? I don't think there's a lot of animosity between the two. I think it's just like, no, this guy was, was first. It's kind of a... Fair. You have to admit, it would be a really good reality TV show. Oh, we'll get to that. Oh my god, really? <laughs> I am not prepared. <laughs> but, but anyway. Okay. So back to what things were like in these churches. Really, the emphasis is on the signs and also on the Bible. Many of the leaders in this movement had little formal education. Some were illiterate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the services were really loud and exciting. Lots of people getting up, handling snakes, speaking in tongues. But they would only do these things when they were in an ecstatic state uh, because the Holy Spirit was on them. So yeah. they were visibly, something was going on. Yeah. And you could tell. Uh, there was also lots of shouting from other people, just like, praise the Lord, hallelujah to glory. Cool. There weren't really quiet observers at these services. Everyone took an active part, which is kind of neat. <laughs> sort of. I mean, if that's your jam. Yeah. For some people, that sounds like not their jam. Yeah. But, you know, inclusion, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's nice that, like, everyone gets to be a part of the thing, unless you really don't want to be seen and you're there to just, like, have your moment with God. Right. In which which case, you're not part of this church if you... If quiet moment are, with God or what you're craving? Yeah. Is, I'm assuming, at least. Yeah, sure. A lot of these churches also had very strict dress codes, no makeup, ankle-length skirts. Um, according to one source I found, no ties for men because the Bible doesn't condone neckties anywhere. Like, it doesn't specifically mention neckties because neckties hadn't been invented, so you can't wear a tie to church? Yeah, they wore open collars, I guess. Uh, This same source also said no drinking Coca-Cola because that specifically isn't in the Bible either. Wow, this is a level of hardcore that I was not prepared for. Um, Also, I'm a little annoyed that this means that the men in these churches are definitely showing way more skin than the women. They probably are, yep. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I didn't even think about that. I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah, also no going to the theater, no drinking or tobacco, but these churches didn't have a a structure to them, like a higher level of authority, so they were all independent, so rules varied yeah. based on individual church. That makes sense. Another leader a little bit later in this movement was Tom Harden. Okay. Snake handling had started to wane, like I said, in the 20s after being rejected by the Church of God. And he was the guy who helped revive it in the 40s. Okay, cool. He had only gone to school for one year as a kid and was not able to read or write. But then, in his words, he got the Holy Ghost and was suddenly able to read the Bible. Wow, that is charming. Yeah, I like that one. (laughs) It's real cute. (laughs) I got the Holy Ghost and now I can read the Bible. Could he read other things now too, or just the Bible? I don't know. It didn't. Okay. It just said he could read the Bible. Well, good for him. That's a step. Yeah. <laughs> Did he also have a wife reading to him all the time? I also don't know that. Fair. But I do know that once a snake did bite him, but he recovered. Good for him. Yeah. He joined Raymond Hayes and started the Dolly Pond Church of God with signs following in Grasshopper Valley, Tennessee. That all sounds like fake TV places. 
<laughs> Dolly Pond and Grasshopper Valley are both locations in a children's TV show somewhere, I am sure. They might be. They sound like it. But yeah, it is a very charming name, <laughs> which is why I included the full name. <laughs> I like it. But also, they've got snakes in their church. They do. And unfortunately, in 1945, at this church, Lewis Ford died of a snake bite, leading to snake handling being outlawed in 1947 in Tennessee. Dun dun dun. But congregations continued to perform this practice, and there were several more deaths throughout the years. A case was brought to the Tennessee Supreme Court in 1973, oh. claiming that the ban violated their religious freedom. And what happened? The Supreme Court upheld the ban. That makes sense. But people were still secretly handling snakes, is what oh, you're saying? Oh, yeah. Definitely. It just went underground a little bit more. They weren't advertising live snake ceremonies on the front of their churches anymore. Right. Probably not. Yeah. Uh, snake handling was also outlawed in Georgia, where a person could have been given the death penalty if they were found liable for the death of a person who handled snakes. Wow. I yeah. mean, I guess, like... If you caused the death of someone by handing them a poisonous snake in a church service, you did kind of kill them? Yeah, I thought that seemed a little extreme. It's but... very extreme. <laughs> but it is... I understand why they were trying to make this rationale. Mm -hmm. But also, it's a lot. Yeah, this ended up being repealed in the 60s. That makes sense. Now in Georgia, you can handle snakes, but only with a permit. Okay. I don't think it is a church service permit. I think it's probably a generalized handling wildlife permit like you would have also as like a zookeeper. Yeah, or like it's an exotic pet license or something. Probably something along those lines. Yeah. I seriously doubt it's a license to handle snakes in a religious service. Yeah. But does that mean that you can't just like pass out snakes in, in church anymore? Like only the permitted humans hold the snakes? Or is that like the intention behind it at least? That's probably what it is officially. Fair. But likely in these churches where they're handling snakes, they're, not everyone has a permit. That makes sense also. My guess would be like the pastor has a permit. The pastor yes. who keeps the, the snakes at his house. Yeah. And I say his because it's probably his in these churches. Correct. <laughs> Snake handling is also banned in all Appalachian states except West Virginia. Okay. Because in West Virginia, it is against the state constitution to put any limits on religious freedom whatsoever. There you so, go. If you want to go do some weird religious ceremony... West Virginia's West Virginia, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> they got you. They got you covered out there. Yeah. And like I said before, 50 to 100 churches in the United States are still doing this. About 3,000 members. In 2013, there was a TV show called Snake Salvation. Oh my god, yes. About a church that still practiced this in Kentucky. Okay. This only ran one season, and unfortunately, the year after it was canceled, Jamie Coots, one of the pastors died from a snake bite. Ooh, no good. Yeah. No good at all. But that was after they'd already canceled the show? Yes. So it wasn't like he got bit and died and then they realized that this was maybe a bad idea to make a TV show out of this? Yeah, because the show only ran during 2013. Okay. And he died in 2014. So taping would have happened earlier. Yeah. But yeah, he, he unfortunately died. I don't know if that church is still around, still doing snake handling. They might be. There were other pastors. Fair. Yeah. What I want in a TV show, though... Is a, like, Hensley Snake Church and a Miller Snake Church who are, like, across state lines from each other but real close and have some sort of feud, like, uh, Hatfield and McCoy style. That's my dream. <laughs> I feel like that probably doesn't exist, but... But that's my dream. <laughs> sure. Snake handling does not actually 
lead to as many people getting bitten as you might think. And I would hope not, because in my mind, this is a very dangerous activity. Yeah, I was surprised when I read this. And also when people do get bitten, they recover far more often than you might expect. Is it because these churches like are holding on to antivenoms and stuff in case of emergencies? Or is it No, it's definitely not that. Or is it a like luck <laughs> slash god situation? There's a couple different theories. Or is it a modern medicine situation? Definitely not a modern medicine situation. Okay. Because a lot of these churches do not believe in medical intervention because they think that healing should come from God. Okay. So Noted. You're not rushing people to the hospital when they get bit in church, is what you're saying. Right. A lot of these people, if they do end up dying, they could have survived, but they refused medical care. Okay. So it's really no different than in 1915 if someone got bit by a snake, is what yeah. you're saying. So what are the theories about why these people aren't dying? So first, there's only been about 80 recorded deaths in the 20th century as a whole from snake handling. Wow, that is an impressively low number for 100 years. Yeah, I don't have a statistic from 2000 to today. Okay. But I assume it's even less because this is less popular. Yeah, it's probably less than one per year. Probably, something like that. Couple theories. The first theory would be... The Holy Spirit is protecting these people. Yeah. And the times that they weren't protected, it would be because of lack of faith or because they have sinned. Yeah. Something like that. So this is the hashtag blessed defense? Yeah. Exactly. This is what the the people in the communities would tell you. Sure. Another theory is that the snakes are handled so regularly that they become somewhat domesticated. So they're less likely to bite. That also totally seems reasonable. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you're getting handled... Every Sunday for the lifetime of your snake, you know, you get pretty used to getting handled and you'd have to do something pretty wild to get it to bite you at that point. Right. And this would be especially true if the snakes were brought to the church when they were very young. Yeah. Or if they were born in captivity. Like if you have a snake and then that snake has snake babies and then you hold on to the babies. Right. Literally hold on to the babies. Literally hold on to the babies. (laughs) (laughs) And then the third possibility is that the snakes being handled are in poor health. Ah, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, I found an NPR report where they talked to Jamie Coots, the the guy who died, the guy who died, about how long his snakes lived. And he said that, on average, about three to four months. That's not very long at all. It is not. Snakes are supposed to live a really long time, right? Yeah, a snake in captivity can live between... 10 and 20 years. Wow. So they are, something is not right with these snakes. This church, at least, was not taking very good care of their snakes. The snakes were in very small cages with lots of other snakes, and there was evidence that they were not feeding them enough. The snakes were underweight. Um. And snakes that are sick or underweight or dehydrated are less likely to strike. And if they do strike, they are less likely to produce strong enough venom to kill someone. I mean, do you think that then these people are doing this deliberately in order to sort of make the snakes more docile in order to make it safer? Or is this sort of like a passive, like they don't really care about the snakes because they're in it for the showmanship or they don't know how to take care of snakes because they think that this is a God thing? I would say probably mostly that third one. There might be some people who are trying to game the system, but the people who are doing this are very committed to it because there still is the danger. Yeah, and it feels like they're not doing this for popularity, especially given the sort of small percentage of people who do this now. There's not like fame and money in snake handling anymore. No, and a lot of it is done underground secretly because it's illegal in a lot of places. Yeah, so I guess like if you still really want to handle snakes, it's because you really believe 
that this is a sign from God. So it is in your best interest, I guess, to like have them be the most robust snakes they can be, unless you just don't know how to care about snakes and you're not in it to like be a good snake owner. You're in it to like connect with your God and therefore are probably not following best snake keeping practices. Right. There you go. Who knows? I kind of like the idea of you having like a, an old snake that has been the like the church snake for a really long time and is like taken very good care of, but is also like a wizened old snake that has like a deep connection with the pastor that handles it. I then it's like a buddy comedy. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's probably not what's happening. Also probably not what's happening. In my head I just pictured a snake wearing like those half moon glasses. Amazing. <laughs> Just imagine, like, if a guy, like, found, had his religious experience, like, in the woods with the snake that doesn't bite him, and he takes the snake home and, like, takes great care of the snake, and every week they, like, do their snake handling, and it's just, like, a revered member of the community, but it's also a snake. That sounds very nice. Yes. And also would probably breed a really deadly snake. It could, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) One last thing I just want to re-emphasize. This is not all evangelicals, not even all Pentecostals. Like, Oh yeah, we are going smaller and smaller buckets here. Subgroup, not trying to make fun of anyone's religious beliefs. I do think this is dangerous. I want to point that out. You should not handle snakes. Correct. (laughs) Paul says, do not handle snakes. Listen to Paul in this one instance specifically. Yeah. (laughs) We're not going blanket, listen to Paul. (laughs) No, we're we're not doing that. We do not condone 100% of the things Paul says. But we also don't 100% condone snake handling. We 0% condone snake handling on this podcast. Correct. This is not a pro-snake handling podcast. This is one of those rare instances I will side with the the assembly of the Church of God. (laughs) Let it be known. (laughs) It happened once and only once. (laughs) All right. That's what I've got on snake handling. Awesome. Let's take a break and then we'll come back for some fun. Sounds good. And we're back. And now it's time for the patronage pop quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint and she has to guess what they're the patron of. I'm ready. Who do we got this week? This week we have Focus the Gardener. Focus? Like, focus? But with a PH. Okay. Great. (laughs) And he's a gardener. He's a gardener, yeah. Great. <laughs> I want to know so much. <laughs> he was born in the 3rd century in Sinope, which is now Turkey. Okay. He was such a skilled gardener that it was written that he seemed partially restored to the happy condition of our parents in Eden. Oh, that's so cute. Isn't that nice? He just really likes plants. And is very good at it and doesn't yeah. have to try very hard, apparently. Good for him. <laughs> He was able to support himself off of the proceeds of the land. He did so well that he was able to give generously to the poor, and he helped pay for housing for the local homeless. His piety earned him the respect of many of the people in Sinope, including those who were not Christian. Because of their respect for him, many pagans even converted to Christianity. Word of his influence and public practice of Christianity made its way to Diocletian. This sounds not good for him. No. Diocletian is never good for Christians. Great. (laughs) He was sentenced to death without being given a trial. A group of soldiers were sent out to find him and to kill him on the spot. As the soldiers approached town, they accidentally bumped into Focus. Oh, great. (laughs) The soldiers told him that their mission was to find and kill a man named Focus. He told them they were in luck because he knew Focus and he would take them to him 
but he insisted that they stay the night with him first. That's adorable. <laughs> I really hope this goes the way I want it to. <laughs> he fed and comfortably housed the soldiers, and they were very impressed by his hospitality. Good for him. It's not going to go how you think it's going to go. I'm sure. After they had all gone to bed, he arranged for all of his possessions to be given to the poor. He then went out into his garden and dug his own grave. Oh my gosh. <laughs> After he had finished, he spent the rest of the night preparing his soul. In the morning, he led the soldiers out to the grave that he had dug, and he revealed that he was in fact focused and that they should carry out their duty. Oh my god. And then do it? Do they? The soldiers were shocked, and they did not want to kill the man who had been so kind to them. Correct. That's how this is supposed to go. <laughs> yeah, they felt honor-bound to spare him, and offered to go back and say that they hadn't found him. However- <laughs> He didn't want them to lie? Focus insisted. He said that he looked upon death as the greatest of favors, and then he bowed his head for them to cut off. Oh my god. And they did. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> he was buried in the grave that he dug. Yep. And later a church was constructed on the spot to honor him. That is- so tragic and so adorable. <laughs> yeah, that was a weird one. I have so many feelings about this. <laughs> so, Shannon, what is Focus the patron of? This has to be a gimme, right? He's the patron saint of gardeners. He is the patron saint of gardeners. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Does he also have a sort of like hospitality patronage somewhere in there too because that's a big bit the list that i have for him is against insect bites against poisoning against snake bites perfect <laughs> i see where you're going here <laughs> for agricultural workers boatmen farm workers farmers field hands gardeners husbandmen mariners market gardeners sailors and watermen but i do believe that innkeepers was on another list that makes sense because he was just so hospitable and nothing in his story really explains why sailors, but it is traditional for sailors to leave out a plate of food for focus. Adorable. Okay. For some reason. <laughs> All right. Was where he lived like on a boat, like on a body of water somehow. And so maybe he interacted with sailors. He like preached to sailors or was hospitable to them or something. That would be my best guess. I want to say he was near the Black Sea. Yeah. So maybe he just like ministered to a lot of sailors. That could be. But, you know, sometimes... But we, if we've learned anything in 28 <laughs> episodes of the show, it's that this stuff doesn't always make sense. Yeah. Uh, but, like, this one, most of the patronages made a lot of sense. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, thank you for all of that, Brian. That was delightful. And thank you all so much for listening. If you are enjoying the show, go on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Rate us, review us, hit that subscribe or like or save button, whatever gets you your episodes of Sunday School for Heathens faster. Thank you so much to Adam Griffin for our awesome music. And thank you so much to David Griffin for our logo and our editing. And also because your house has a really nice garden in it. We've hung out in it a lot. That's true. It is very nice. Yeah. Beautiful gazebo. Yeah. Love that gazebo. <laughs> this yeah. is his parents' house. That it is. is. <laughs> but it's a great gazebo. And we've hung out in it a yeah. lot. Speaking of his parents, hi, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Obligatory Karen Griffin shout out. Uh, you can also email us at sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com, tweet at us at school number four heathens, or you can like our new Facebook page at school number four heathens as well. Thank you so much for listening today. Amen. Amen. Go in peace to like and share the pod. 